The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned. But whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the verdict, that the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come towards the light so that his works might not be exposed. But whoever lives the truth comes to the light so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. Our first reading today presents us once again with the issue of opposition on the part of the religious authorities in Jerusalem to the word about Jesus Christ. And we hear today quite specifically that it is the high priest himself and his allies who are identified as the party of the Sadducees, the party of temple worship, the party that invested themselves in the sacrifices at the temple, in particular, who are taking issue with the apostles today, including having them imprisoned. And lurking behind all of this, is something that we're going to see further on as we move through the Acts of the Apostles during the Easter season. Something that actually St. Paul is going to leverage to his benefit later on. And we living 2,000 years from those days are often not aware of how complicated matters of belief were in Israel of that time. We tend to think that the Jewish tradition was one solid thing and everybody practiced the same way. And that is simply not the case. In fact, one of the particular difficulties that the Sadducees had with the proclamation of the early church is precisely that they did not believe in something like the resurrection from the dead. This can be surprising to us. We, could, we grow up thinking that all Jews were looking for that, and that is simply not true. In fact, the group that was in control of the temple sacrifices, for the most part, rejected the notion of a resurrection. 
And so the proclamation of Jesus was doubly problematic. One, because of the announcement of him as Savior, as Messiah, as Son of God, but two, also because he is announced as risen from the dead. And so they have this additional area of problem, this additional area of difficulty with regard to the proclamation of what happened. They have to lay a lot aside to begin accepting this. And they are closed in around the narrow band of their small slice of the tradition that had come to them from their fathers. This is a tendency that can live in the modern believer's heart as well. We can engage our rich and complex tradition in very narrow ways and reduce it to those things. And anything that doesn't match my narrow understanding must, of course, be wrong. And so one of the things that we see in our first readings are tendencies that continue to live in the people of God. But what is absolutely important for us to recognize is this. One thing that the tradition that comes to us through ancient Israel involved was that it always had been looking beyond itself. What had been given through Moses, what had been given through the prophets, was always looking forward to the arrival of someone. It was always looking beyond itself for a fulfillment. And so what we see here on the part of the chief priests and the Sadducees is that even though they are the custodians of a tradition that looks beyond itself, they don't want to do that. They circle the wagons around what they have, and they don't look beyond themselves. And the Christian proclamation is that the fulfillment to which all of this has been pointing has a name, and his name is Jesus. And the resurrection of the Lord from the dead is the great sign that God has raised him up and placed him before us as the final authoritative witness. That one, that unique one through whom salvation comes. The implication of this is something very important for the Christian tradition, which is that the Christian tradition does not look beyond itself for some additional fulfillment. We do not wait for another. There is no further revelation that we look forward to with the exception of that great and unambiguous revelation when all things come to an end. But that is not so much a different revelation as the manifestation of Christ in a way that no one can ignore and no one can reject. This is important for us because we have the temptation in our modern age and across the centuries, there has always been a temptation 
among the faithful without even realizing it to look beyond Jesus, to look beyond what we have been given for additional information, additional revelation. But the simple fact of the matter is the high point of revelation has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is why we've closed our canon, not out of narrow-mindedness, but out of a sense that the fullness of the speaking of God is found in and through Jesus. And so when that speaking has, in a sense, come to an end, the Lord has ascended, the apostles who knew him have given us their witness, there's nothing else we're looking forward to. The Lord has said and shown what he needs to say and to show. Note how important that is. And so here we have the tension between a tradition which intrinsically looks beyond itself but is reluctant to do so, and a tradition which insists when one looks to Christ, one need not look any further. But then when one looks to Christ, all things have to be ordered in terms of Christ. This is what Jesus is at pains to teach Nicodemus in chapter 3 of St. John's Gospel. We are still in that long conversation that he has with Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, that body of religious leaders that in the end rejected the Lord and continued to resist him. And note here how Jesus now, in explaining himself, uses very beautiful but very sharp language. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Notice that Jesus is mincing no words. This is who I am. And he doesn't say his adopted son, which would have been a title that the Jewish kings could have taken to themselves. His only begotten son, that one who comes forth from his very life. And in speaking that way, Jesus is saying, there is no more authoritative witness than me. There is no one beyond me that you can look to, for I am the Son who knows the Father, the one that the Father has sent. And note that his only begotten Son, I don't have a brother who's coming after me. You know, I don't have a sister who will be arriving at some point in the future. The rest of the family will not be showing up. The only, his only begotten son, there is no one greater that the Lord can send. Note then, to accept Jesus involves accepting his uniqueness. His uniqueness as the only begotten son. His uniqueness as the great messenger his uniqueness as the one through whom the will of God and the purposes of God will be realized in this world, and there is no one greater who will be coming after him. 
Unlike Moses, who said, in the future there will be a prophet like me and greater than me. Unlike David, who spoke of a greater king than himself. Unlike Isaiah, who pointed our eyes to that one who would be sent, Jesus is speaking in language that unambiguously rules out the possibility of there being anybody else. And why does the Lord send his only begotten son? Because he loves the world and he desires that the world not be lost. The son has not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But then Jesus continues. And isn't it interesting then that that becomes the problem? I'm not here to condemn the world, but the world all too willingly condemns itself. Now the language becomes sharper. Because the light of the world is here. And what does Jesus say? And the human heart prefers darkness to light. And those who do not receive, those who not believe in the messenger that God has sent, I don't condemn them, but they place themselves under condemnation by their preference for darkness to light, by their preference to themselves over all other things. Note, note how clear Jesus is. I haven't come to condemn. But salvation depends on your relationship with me. And he's not speaking first and foremost about all of those who innocently don't know him because they've never heard the message. Jesus is speaking here about all of those who have the opportunity to meet him, have the opportunity to respond to him. Because the choice of how I relate to Christ is a choice that is freighted with life and death, with salvation and condemnation. It is a choice of darkness or light and where I am going to live. Note how important that is. And the Lord speaks this way to the teacher of Israel, challenging him. You've come to me at night. Chapter 3 begins with Nicodemus coming at night. And as far as we know, chapter 3 ends with Nicodemus leaving and it's still dark. And so in this context of a conversation at night, here Jesus is using this image of light. Where are you going to be? Are you going to step out of the shadows into the light? Because the truth of your deeds, the truth of your heart, the truth of your mind, the truth of your life is only manifest in the light of who I am. But the one who prefers apparent innocence over real innocence the one who prefers not to change and surrender to the Lord is that one who doesn't want to step forward out of the cover of darkness, out of hiding. And so here in this beautiful section in the middle of chapter 3 of his gospel, St. John has Jesus basically inviting Nicodemus and by extension us 
those of us who likewise might be uncertain, those of us who likewise might be tentative. And he's saying, step out of hiding. Step out of the shadows and come to me. You don't have to live in the shadows. Come to me. You don't have to clothe yourselves in the shadows. Come to me. There's no one else you need wait for. Come to me. I'm right here. Sinner or not, step forward because I haven't come for your condemnation. I've come that you might live. I've come for your salvation. Note how Jesus here, as he speaks of the conflict between light and darkness, as he speaks of that great self-giving he would have on the cross, note how gentle his language is. It's not the language of the pain I will go through. It's not the language of how I will show you the face of what you do to your own dignity. It is simply the language of I am here for a reason. And the reason is that you might have life. And the Lord sent me out of love for you. And that is the light. Step into that light. And in light of those words, note how heavy, in a sense, our first reading feels with this insistence that we have to imprison the messengers, with this insistence that we have to stop this inconvenient truth, this inconvenient word which we will not accept, and yet the inability of the world to stop it. For all his authority, the high priest cannot keep the apostles in prison because heaven frees them. For all his authority, the members of the Sanhedrin cannot stop the spread of the gospel or the word that the Lord who is risen from the dead, the one that they had already rejected, is in fact alive and is in fact the one that God himself has chosen and raised up. In other words, the word that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus is in fact true. And he is the light of the world and there is no need to look for or wait for any other. And how wonderful it is then that as we come forward in just a few minutes and stretch out our hands, we stretch them out to him, who likewise says to us, stay not in the shadows, come forward, meet me, receive me, know me, and let the light of my presence shine in your heart that you might see the full truth of yourself, which is not merely the truth of the wrong you've done, but the truth of how much God desires you and how much God loves you. When you hear those words, the body of Christ today, hear in the back of your mind, for God so loved the world, as you're stretching out your hand, and the sacred host is being placed there after you say your amen, for God so loved the world that he gave to you, that he gave his only begotten Son.
And what a beautiful amen to say when we are conscious of that. Amen.